This week on Geek Explained, we're getting acquainted with the world's strangest heroes. So join us on this episode as we Geek Explain the Doom Patrol. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about the Doom Patrol. For those of you who don't know, recently on the DC Universe app service thing, uh, this past Friday they had the premiere of their newest original show, Doom Patrol. Uh, this is recounting the kind of a hodgepodge strange team that not a lot of people actually know about. So um, to give you a little bit of background, and uh, just in case you watched the episode and were totally lost on these characters you've never heard of or never seen before, I got you covered. Got an entire episode talking about their background, how they came to be, their history. We have, I wrote up a full uh, list of each roster. That's right, there's several rosters on this team. And uh, yeah, we're going to be tackling it all. Uh, but first, I wanted to say thank you for uh, choosing to listen to us. We do appreciate it very much. Uh, we are coming up on our one year anniversary for Geek Explain. It's going to be on March 10th. Uh, still kind of working out uh, exactly what we're going to be doing for that. Uh, one year anniversary episode but i am looking forward to it and i hope you are too and we will go ahead and jump into the background we're going to be covering as much as we can this background is going to be talking about their uh kind of the creative team uh how they came up with them all of the uh, publication history that kind of stuff so Let's go ahead and jump straight into that. The Doom Patrol was a team originally created by Arnold Drake, Bob Haney, and Bruno, Bruno Premiani. And they this team was essentially created to save a failing book at the time. This failing book being My Greatest Adventure, which was basically a uh, kind of like an adventure explorer book, kind of like uh, Indiana Jones, Johnny Quest, that kind of thing. But around this time in early 1960s, those books were kind of falling by the wayside, especially with the uh, resurgence of Marvel Comics with their Fantastic Four team. So they wanted to create, uh, these comics did, they wanted to create a team that could uh, bring readers back and at the same time save this failing book. So they originally... Uh, Drake, Haney, and Premiani came up with this idea called the Legion of the Strange. Uh, basically, a team of weirdos who would deal with the more uh, strange and occult side of the DC Universe. And after a lot of uh, going back and forth on characters, creating them, bringing them back, uh, oftentimes getting rid of characters to bring them back later on in the run, they finally debuted their first appearance in June of 1963 in My Greatest Adventure number 80. That is the first appearance of the Doom Patrol. And the lineup consisted of uh, Niles Calder, also known as the Chief, uh, 
Rita Farr, Elastigirl, Cliff Steele, Robot Man, and Larry Trainer, the Negative Man. Um, this team was kind of a hodgepodge of strange people with strange abilities uh, fighting against people's strange uh, preconceived notions of them. Uh, the book, after a few issues, was re officially retitled The Doom Patrol, kind of in the same way that Superman started off in action comics and was later uh, spun into his own Superman book, same way with Batman with Detective Comics. Except this time, instead of going into a solo series and still leaving the original book behind, they completely just rebranded the title because they... Th saw that the Doom Patrol was gaining success with it, and they really wanted to continue that momentum. So they officially retitled My Greatest Adventure the Doom Patrol with issue number 86, but it still kept the, uh, the numbering of the original book. Now the first run, the initial run, ended with issue number 121 in October of uh, 1968, so just five years later. And it's really interesting because the end of this uh, first run, which involved um, essentially wiping the entire slate clean of those characters, we'll get more into that of course with the uh, fictional history uh, ended with a plea from both the artist and the editor to uh, fans of the book to write into DC Comics so that they could re revive the book and I had never never heard of that before um, the creative team actually going in and asking for fans to write in to hopefully save their book I just I think that's fascinating and then uh, eventually the book was saved, and the second run began almost nine years later in uh, 1977. The second run lasted only three issues. Uh, it's pretty bad. <laughs> um, they didn't. It didn't catch fire the same way that the first run did, and the second run uh, was kind of more committed into jumping headfirst into more superhero-style stories. The first run was more about these strangers who kind of were outside of the normal superhero um, landscape, while the second run was trying to cash in on the big superhero resurgence in the 70s. Now, the third run, which took place 19, in 1987, 10 years after the second run, went a full 18 issues. Now, this run was in an attempt to get people back on board with kind of the uh, same flavor as the first team, but it didn't last too long. The uh, 18 issues were soon turned over to uh, Grant Morrison. If you don't know who that is, first of all, shame on you. <laughs> Second of all, uh, he is one of the most prolific comic book creators, for better or for worse, uh, of all time. Uh, the fourth run it, uh, began in issue number 19 of this run and starred Grant Morrison as the writer of it and was basically a full uh, kind of repackage, retooling it for the uh, 1980s landscape where superhero books were at the time, where they were going. We were seeing a lot of Dark Knight Returns. We were seeing Watchmen around this time. So Grant Morrison took a book that wasn't doing exceptionally well and put his own spin on it, put his own uh, Grant Morrison spin on it. And through this book is where people, I think most uh, 
most people who have heard of the Doom Patrol or are familiar with the Doom Patrol, this is where they uh, jumped on with it. I myself am familiar with the Doom Patrol or really got acquainted with them through the Grant Morrison run. And uh, this run was kind of notable for uh, parodying a lot of Marvel ideas. They made fun of a lot of different stuff, whether uh, it was the Fantastic Four story, This Man, This Monster, through uh, parodying certain characters outright. This book was as meta as you could get in the 1980s, and it was... A stronger book, I think, for it. It knew what it was, it knew what it wanted to be, and what it wanted to be was something that readers hadn't really seen before. Uh, taking something that was sort of established with the team name, some of the main characters, but really giving it an overhaul for a new generation. Uh, the fifth run uh, began with issue number 64 of this run where Grant Morrison officially left the book and was the first title underneath the Vertigo imprint. The Vertigo imprint was originally kind of DC's adult-oriented books. Uh, what we see today as DC's Black Label was kind of what Vertigo was at that point. Uh, this run only lasted uh, 23 issues, and it was canceled with issue number 87 in February of 1995. So all in all, through all of that, 87 issues, not bad when you consider all of the or the uh, other runs before it. The sixth run, uh, which debuted in December of 2001, so six years later, uh, it's just, it blows my mind how far apart these runs happen to be. Uh, the sixth run ran for 22 issues and was essentially kind of a uh, soft reboot of the... Uh, of the team, introducing new characters, putting a uh, bigger spotlight on lesser-known characters, but of course it did end with issue number 22. The seventh run uh, was essentially a full reboot with John Byrne uh, in August of 2004. Now this full reboot gained a lot of attention, both good and bad, because John Byrne at this point celebrated Superman writer, celebrated comic book writer in general, and it didn't really sit well that he almost seemed to uh, be ashamed of the original or of the past few um, runs beforehand. Uh, the run lasted only 18 issues and was very controversial for a number of reasons, both uh chipping away at the previous continuities, um, really just kind of messing with everything, and also for a couple of other really strange choices. Like there was uh, there was this story where Robot Man and Elastigirl went back in time, but they went back in time to their uh, previous... By going back in time, they went back to their ages at the time that they time-traveled or at the time that they try and traveled to. So when they got to their destination, Robot Man was, I think, like 20 or something like, 20 or 30 or something like that. And uh, Elastigirl was 12. And this is the time that uh, John Byrne, as the writer, decided to have Robot Man confess his love for her, for, uh, for Elastigirl. And it was really awkward having like a 20-something man... Um, 
admit his love for a 12 year old it was just it was weird it was really weird and thankfully uh one of the biggest dc crossovers infinite crisis hit the reset button on that and really um brought that run specifically to an end uh this run was followed up post infinite crisis with uh run by keith giffen that started in 2009 uh the run ran for 22 issues and was kind of a uh bringing everything back all of the stuff was back in continuity everything that had happened before happened before and this was now building on top of that doom patrol legacy which at this point had been going on for over 40 years uh, unfortunately, the book was canceled in May of 2011, along with all of the other DC books, in preparation for the New 52. Now, the, the New 52 Doom Patrol um, is much less or uh, much more downplayed than its previous books. It didn't even get a proper book a proper solo book to itself actually appearing in the justice league book in a sporadic uh, couple of appearances which brings us to the most recent run which if you're keeping score is the ninth official run in the doom patrol publication history uh this was part of the young animal line which was being headed up by gerard way who uh formerly the lead singer of my chemical romance and also the creator of umbrella academy which also debuted this past weekend or uh this past week on uh netflix and this run which has been uh written by gerard way with art by nick darrington big fan of nick darrington's art uh ran for 12 issues and is the most recent run of the team uh the and it being kind of revived for the young animal line was pretty cool because since the uh, young animal line was being sh quote unquote show run uh by gerard way the young animal line was kind of devoted to showing kind of the uh the weird aspects of the dc universe the kind of lesser known books such as flex mentalo cave carson as a cybernetic eye those kind of books and it was widely successful uh the books were very well received critically and um from a fan perspective as well and i personally really enjoyed those books this run specifically of doom patrol kind of brought it back to its original roots with a little bit of uh, grant morrison flavor with it being just stupid weird <laughs> um that is uh official critiques from a uh an internet review that i read of the book that this run was stupid weird in the best way so that is going to do it for uh the publication history now before we jump into the fictional history of the doom patrol i want to address something that i would be remiss if i didn't address so let me uh let me lay this pitch for the doom patrol on you and see if it sounds familiar an eccentric wheelchair-bound genius brings together four misfit heroes who are shunned by the societies they live in and are looked at as freaks brings them together to fight for justice for good and to change the perspective of those people to not look at them as freaks but as heroes does that sound familiar 
it's not just the Doom Patrol, it's the original pitch for the X-Men uh, of Marvel Comics. And a lot of people, when uh, first hearing about the Doom Patrol, when they are uh, experiencing the Doom Patrol, even with the most recent pilot episode that uh, played on DC Universe this past Friday, this team has been equated as DC's X-Men, which I think is a little bit unfair. Um, yes, they have similar premise, similar taglines even. The uh, Doom Patrol was originally introduced as the world's strangest heroes, where the X-Men in their very first issue were given the tagline, the strangest heroes of all. And yeah, you know, you get your wheelchair-bound benefactor, who's a little mysterious, they all live in a mansion, they've all got weird powers, they're all kind of shunned by society, but a lot of people who think that Doom Patrol is a ripoff of the X-Men might want to check their dates, because Doom Patrol debuted, as we said, in June of 1963, while the X-Men's first issue didn't debut until September of that same year. So we're talking three months three whole months that the Doom Patrol was on the market before the X-Men even arrived. Um, this is attributed a lot to the kind of comics landscape at the time. Many writers and artists were jumping between both companies because it was kind of the Wild West. It was before exclusivity deals. It was before um, signed contracts before people could only work at one company because at that point the comics industry was really starting to boom again and companies didn't know exactly what they wanted to do with it or how they wanted to go about it so a lot of writers and artists were essentially freelance jumping between companies wherever they could get paid for their ideas and i think that is what attributed a lot to this uh, originally arnold drake had gone on record multiple times in several interviews uh, basically saying that stan lee stole his idea of the Doom Patrol and made it into the X-Men. Other accounts have been that because there were so many writers and artists jumping between companies that Stan may have overheard the idea from a writer or artist that was coming over from DC, liked the idea so much and decided to create his version. But um, Arnold Drake actually made kind of a, uh, I guess a retraction shortly before his death in 2007, where he basically said, you know, a lot of people were jumping between companies back then. It wouldn't have surprised me if if Stan overheard the idea and didn't realize that it was already being developed. So I think he softened his stance on it later in life, but there's no ignoring the idea that these two teams are very similar in both their premise and the way that they went about fixing their problems. And I think there's room, personally, I think there's room in the world for both the Doom Patrol and the X-Men. They're very different, um, very different routes narratively that you can go, very different plots, different characters, different abilities that you can find between two without them overlapping too much. But one thing that the Doom Patrol does have in common with the X-Men is an ever-rotating team. Uh, the Doom Patrol has gone through, as we saw, several different runs, and with each run came a new team lineup. So I've got a full list. I'm going to 
try to get through these because there are a lot of people <laughs> in these teams. So we're going to go ahead and go through each roster individually. Uh, the OG roster, as I call it, the original team consisted of Niles Calder, the Chief, Robot Man, Negative Man, Elastigirl, and later added Mento as well as Beast Boy to its ranks. That's right. Beast Boy, known of the Teen Titans and such, uh, actually made his debut as part of the Doom Patrol. If you were a fan of the original Teen Titans cartoon, like I am, uh, you might remember the Doom Patrol making an appearance in the final season of that show, fighting against the Living Brain, as well as Monsieur Mala and the um, Brotherhood of Evil. So that was the original team, and uh, that team was, of course, the team that ended with the original run. Throughout the 70s, all the way to the 90s, through that big overarching um, 87 issue run, we had Celsius, Tempest, Negative Woman, Robot Man, Lodestone, Karma, and Scott Fisher as the original kickoff team for that next run, though eventually they did add the Chief, Crazy Jane, Rebus, Dorothy Spinner, Danny the Street, and Coagula to their ranks as well. Now, this will become a little bit clearer, a little bit, uh, as we go through the fictional history, but uh, for now we'll keep working our way through the rosters. So the 2001 to 2003 team uh, consisted first of Robot Man, Fever, Freak, Fast Forward, and Kid Slick. Though, interestingly enough, during this run, there was also a secondary Doom Patrol team that acted completely independent of that first team, though every so often they would cross over. And this team consists consisted of Elongated Man, Dr. Light, the female version, Metamorpho, and Beast Boy. For me, I feel like with those specific characters, this was almost kind of a riff off the Fantastic Four, with Elongated Man as your Mr. Fantastic, Dr. Light as your Invisible Woman, Metamorpho as your Thing, and Beast Boy as your kind of uh, hotshot young Johnny Storm character. So that was the team for that short-lived run. In 04, when we dealt with the retcons all the way up to 2010, the team consisted at different points of The Chief, Elastigirl, Robot Man, Negative Man, Grunt, Nudge, Vortex, Faith, Beast Boy, Bumblebee, Mento, Vox, Black Hole, Crazy Jane, Danny the Street, and Ambush Bug. What a group of names, am I right? Uh, with the New 52 and the reboot there, uh, the team consisted of Element Woman, Robot Man, The Chief, Celsius, Tempest, Scorch, Negative Woman, Karma, Elasta Woman, and Negative Man. And finally, in the most recent run in the uh, Young Animal line, which I would consider the current uh, team, we have Casey Brink, Sam Reynolds, Terry Nunn, Robot Man, Negative Man, Crazy Jane, and Flex Mentalo. So that is a full, unabridged history of the Doom Patrol when it comes to their publication as well as their roster. But now we are going to jump into the full fictional history in continuity, in canon, of the Doom Patrol all the way from their 
beginnings, their humble beginnings in 1963, all the way up to just this past year. So we're talking over 50 years of Doom Patrol. I'm going to try and get through this as clearly and as concisely as possible. But um, here we go. So the history of the Doom Patrol all starts on a dark and stormy night. Three strangers, Rita Farr, Cliff Steele, and Larry Trainer, are brought together by a wheelchair-bound Niles Calder. He's brought these three people together because he believes that even though... Uh, they have been shunned from society for each of their accidents. He believes that they can be heroes. Rita Farr was a famous film actress who, after a stunt gone wrong, was exposed to a toxic chemical gas that gave her the ability to both grow and shrink in size. Cliff Steele was a daredevil race car driver who, after an accident, was essentially presumed dead and his body was broken beyond repair though a brilliant surgeon took the brain of cliff steel and was able to put it into a robot body cliff steel lived on through this robot body as originally the automaton later renamed the robot man and larry trainer was an ace pilot for the u.s military until one fateful day while piloting an experimental spacecraft he was exposed to some kind of strange radiation which resulted in his body emitting a what he calls the negative man a kind of astral form of himself that leaves his body and has several different abilities flight uh energy bursts that kind of thing and these three were brought together by niles calder who reveals himself as the surgeon who saved cliff Steele's life because he believes that though the world misunderstands them they can still be heroes and brings them together as the doom patrol now this team dubbed the world's strangest heroes fought against the hate of the masses as well as fighting against evil, uh, namely the Brotherhood of Evil, headed up by the villainous Brain and his assistant Monsieur Mala. Eventually, they encountered Mento, Steve Dayton, a super smart individual who had a huge crush on Rita Farr. Steve Dayton eventually constructed himself a helmet that he would use to tap into his latent psychic abilities, which would give him the ability of psychokinesis, telepathy, as well as the ability to manipulate people's minds. He originally rubbed a lot of or the other two male members of the team the wrong way because he was arrogant and he was mainly focused on uh, his love for Rita, but eventually he was welcomed as part of the team. Uh, later on, Rita and Steve did end up marrying, as well as adopting a young Garfield Logan, who would join the team and take on the codename of Beast Boy. This team seemed to really be gelling for a while. They had a family dynamic. Everything was going right for them until Niles Calder got it in his head that he wanted to redeem one of the villains inside the Brotherhood of Evil, that being Madame Rouge. Now, Madame Rouge was a character with a split personality, one good, one evil. Uh, she had the ability to change her shape, change her face, so she was kind of a uh, mystique 
kind of character, and she had been taken in by Brain and Monsieur Mala, who performed experiments on her that shut out the good personality and left her only with evil. Niles Calder made it his mission after the two fell in love, even though they were on opposite sides of the war, to bring Madame Rouge's good side back, thereby rehabilitating her and bringing her back to the side of good. Unfortunately, this all went wrong, and Madame Rouge swore vengeance not just on the Doom Patrol, but also on the Brotherhood of Evil for both of their hands in manipulating her and trying to change her. She teamed up with a villainous ex-Nazi U-boat captain named Captain Zal, 60s, am I right? Um, and hatched a plot, first destroying the uh, Brotherhood of Evil's main base, seemingly killing Brain and Mala, and then forcing the Doom Patrol to retreat to their secondary base on an island out in the Pacific. Unfortunately, Madame Rouge and Captain Zal revealed that their secondary island base had been lined with explosives. They also revealed that a nearby smaller island, which housed the fishing village of Codsville, had also been lined with explosives. Now, Codsville had a population of just 14 people, and Captain Zal and Madame Rouge basically told the Doom Patrol, Here's, here are your options. We can either blow up your island, killing all of you, or we can blow up the island with the 14 strangers who you've never met. Choice is yours. And they made this choice, they forced this choice onto the Doom Patrol, believing that the Doom Patrol would instead choose to save their own lives over the lives of these 14 people they've never met before, thereby proving that the Doom Patrol is not or they are not the heroes that they pretend to be. But of course, the Doom Patrol says, fine. And the famous line is, here's your answer, fire away. And the Doom Patrol chooses to sacrifice their lives to save the small fishing village of Codsville. Captain Zal and Rouge blow up the island with only Beast Boy and Mento, who at this point had left the team to survive. This essentially ended the first adventure of the Doom Patrol, killing off not just Robot Man, Negative Man, and Elastigirl, but also Niles Calder, who was on the island as well. Years passed, and a new team was brought together by a woman codenamed Celsius. She recruited Tempest, Negative Woman, and Robot Man, who was revealed to have been alive, having just barely survived the uh, destruction of the island. And a new body was built for him by Celsius. Now, Celsius claimed that she was the wife of Niles Calder, that they had had a uh, secret marriage earlier on in Niles Calder's life, and that he left her for fear of his enemies finding him. This team went up against the likes of General Immortus. They also had a brush with Superman, where a negative woman who was a separate woman who had been imbued by the negative spirit that had also uh, been attached to Larry Trainer for a time. And Negative Woman's powers, because she was 
um, understandably inept at using them, seeing as how she hadn't been bonded to the negative spirit for very long. Um, her powers went out of control, and she ended up in Metropolis, where she ended up fighting Superman. So, really weird kind of uh, time in their history where Superman discovered who they were, what they were about, and they were able to contain Negative Woman and bring her back home. They also found out later on that Niles Calder, the chief, was in fact alive. Somehow he had survived the destruction of the island and was uh, found by this new Doom Patrol. However, upon finding him, Niles angrily dismissed Celsius, telling the rest of the team, I don't know this woman, I have never been married to her, and I don't even know who she is. So that was a huge blow to the team and their trust in Celsius. Of course, Niles left and went on to do his own things away from the team and kind of a soul-searching mission to find out what he's supposed to do next. They also added Lodestone, Karma, and Scott Fisher to their ranks, followed by a move to Kansas, and everything seemed to be settling down into a sort into somewhat a sense of normalcy. However, this normalcy was quickly ended because the invasion crossover event occurred in the dc universe this was where the alien race known as the dominators invaded the earth in an attempt to kill all the metahumans on earth during this company-wide crossover the doom patrol teamed up with aquaman to fight some of the uh, seafaring contingencies of the dominators during this event celsius was unfortunately killed in an effort to destroy one of the dominator ships uh, negative woman also had her connection to the negative force severed and she was depowered and uh similarly killed scott scott fisher a the uh one of the late additions to the team uh was ultimately killed by the dominators when they used a gene bomb to try and wipe out all metahuman life on earth uh lodestone was sent into a coma during this event and through all of this all of this tragedy striking the doom patrol the team ultimately disbanded a lot of time passed a lot of time passed following this event and the chief encountered Robot Man, who had essentially gone into hiding following this event. And the chief ended up finding him in an insane asylum. He had committed himself there after having a lot of uh, issues with his memory and questioning his actual existence prior to becoming Robot Man. Inside of this insane asylum, they met Crazy Jane. Now, Crazy Jane is very interesting as a character because she is someone who has split personality disorder. But not just one or two personalities, Crazy Jane has 64 distinct personalities. Each personality has its own superpower. So Crazy Jane effectively has 64 separate superpowers. Crazy time, and she befriended Cliff Steele, Robot Man, during their time in the uh, psychiatric ward together. They also later encountered Larry Trainer, who somehow had also survived the destruction of the island, though he had been severely depowered and, of course, had been severed from the negative force. The negative force returned to him, but also bonded him to a uh, 
female nurse, I believe, who was also working at the psychiatric ward, effectively turning him into one of DC Comics' first transgender superheroes. They took on the uh, dual name of Rebus. They later uh, fought against the Scissormen, who were essentially... Okay, so it's kind of hard to explain. The Scissormen were a group of villains that attacked people from the non-fictional world, aka the world that the uh, Doom Patrol existed in, and cut them out of continuity, essentially. They cut them out of reality. They used their scissors, hence the scissormen, to cut these people out of reality and send them into a fictional world. They were able to defeat the scissormen and also befriended a young Dorothy Spinner. Dorothy Spinner was an ape-faced girl who had quote-unquote imaginary friends who um, manifested in all sorts of weird things like a lot of people uh, kind of assumed that she had telekinesis because these imaginary friends of hers would attack and push things and um, yeah so Dorothy Spinner became kind of a reserve member of the team uh, they also met a an interdimensional villain named Red Jack who kidnapped the still comatose lodestone in an attempt to marry her uh she was able to be revived and defeated red jack herself before retiring from the team and superheroics altogether this also reintroduced the character of mr morden who was kind of a uh, d rank villain and on the lower tier of the Brotherhood of Evil from the original Dude Patrol days, who, after being imbued with some kind of cosmic energy, became Mr. Nobody and ended up leading a new Brotherhood of Evil, as well as the Cult of Dada. <laughs> um, later on, the uh, Cult of Dada, along with Mr. Nobody, unleashed the Fifth Horseman, who was an interdimensional being set on basically destroying all of reality. Uh, Mr. Nobody ended up teaming up with Crazy Jane, who used all of the might of her 64 personalities to defeat the fifth horseman and send him back into the annals between dimensions. They were also encountered by the Men from Nowhere, a government agency hellbent on taking the Doom Patrol in. It's at this point that they befriended Danny the Street, who is a sentient street. No, I'm not kidding. He is a street that has sentience, that lives. Um, he creates buildings around him. He has little shops that he communicates through people. Uh, all manner of inanimate objects. If you uh, saw the episode on Doom Patrol in the Titans show, they referenced that the Calder House was on Danny Street. So, um, time will tell if Danny the Street ends up making an appearance in the Doom Patrol, but uh, fingers crossed. It's not long after this that the truth is finally revealed. That Niles Calder is not the uh, savior and uh, benevolent benefactor of the Doom Patrol like we all thought. Niles Calder, in fact, caused the quote-unquote accidents that happened to Rita Farr, Cliff Steele, and Larry Trainer that turned them into Elastigirl, Robot Man, and Negative Man. He saw them as um, arrogant, spoiled, and horrible human beings that he wanted to essentially get revenge on for them being such uh, 
for them essentially being famous and so caused each and every accident that happened to them to spur them into becoming who they were uh, upon finding this out tempest who had joined the team during the celsius led days uh, was killed by niles calder after discovering the truth and niles also uh, paralyzed robot man dorothy in an attempt to defeat uh, niles calder who had decided to basically use nanobots that he had been developing through the years to turn the entire world into freaks like the original Doom Patrol in an effort to bring everyone down to the same level. Uh, Niles Calder believed that the only way that uh, someone could become stronger was to face adversity. And so he, the way he looked at it, turning the entire world into freaks would make them stronger as a human race. Dorothy uh, created the imaginary character of the Candlemaker, who decapitated the chief and then decided that it wanted to destroy the entire world. Uh, Candlemaker was ultimately defeated by Dorothy as well as the rest of the Doom Patrol, but following this, the team disbanded once again with only Cliff, Robot Man, and Crazy Jane left. The two of them hid away on an abandoned uh, building on Danny the Street, and that is the last we heard of them for a while. Later on, uh, the chief was revealed to be alive, though he was just ahead being kept alive by his nanomachines. And though we didn't know exactly where Jane had gone, Robot Man kind of reformed a small group of former Doom Patrol members consisting of himself, Dorothy, as well as the disembodied head of the Chief. And at this point, Niles Calder had kind of seen the error of his ways and was looking for a way to redeem himself. Soon after this, this new ragtag team was faced with what could only be described as an outbreak of strange basically dimensional rifts that messed with reality throughout the world. And they encountered the Builders, who came from another dimension to stop this outbreak. They were being led there essentially to fight off what was called the Teresius. And I know I said that completely wrong, but it's spelled T-E-I-R-E-S-I-A-S. So Teresias, Teresias, something like that. But basically, the outbreak was being caused by this T thing. And following this, the uh, kind of hodgepodge Doom Patrol helped the builders stop the outbreak and relocated to Rainbow Estates, which was a haunted estate, where they picked up three new members, the Bandage People, as well as the Inner Child. This is also where they picked up Coagula, who was a uh, later addition to the team. This new team faced off against the Master Cleaner, who was hellbent on cleaning the human race of all abnormalities, as well as the False Healers, who followed him and uh, were trying to essentially do the same thing. Shortly after the uh, team was formed, the Chief died once again after trying to access the Tree of Life. And that was the last we heard of them for a while. We picked up back with the team after a lot of time had passed, and it had been revealed that Dorothy had had a mental breakdown and had unfortunately killed most of the team because of this mental breakdown. Uh, this act also sent her into a coma, and we didn't really know what was going to happen next. Uh, a new 
Doom Patrol team was put together by a uh, conglomerate company, uh, Jost Enterprises. And this new Doom Patrol was company-owned and therefore had to tow the company line. This new Doom Patrol consisted of Fast Forward, Fever, Freak, Kid Slick, and a rebuilt Robot Man. He just, he keeps going. He keeps going. Unfortunately, later on, we found out that this Robot Man was in fact a fake and was created through Dorothy's reality manipulation powers. Once this Robot Man found out the truth, he faded out of existence. Shortly after this, however, the real Cliff Steele, the real Robot Man, was found buried underneath the campsite of where Dorothy had her initial mental breakdown. He was given a new rebuilt body and joined the team. Also during this time, we saw the team uh, cooperate with a second Doom Patrol team consisting of Elongated Man, Metamorpho, Dr. Light, and Beast Boy, who had returned to the uh, Doom Patrol line. Uh, this team was notable for having an ownership dispute with the head of uh, Jost Enterprises, who wanted complete ownership over the Doom Patrol IP. However, because he had uh, gotten the Doom Patrol IP signed over to him by the fake Robot Man, he didn't legally have any rights to owning the team. So it got a little weird because he tried to adopt the still comatose Dorothy Spinner while she was still comatose. However, Robot Man foiled Jost's scheme and took back control of the Doom Patrol. Uh, following this, he the series essentially ended with uh, Cliff deciding to pull the life support on Dorothy. It wasn't too long after this that the team underwent a reboot, the uh, reality-altering reboot that we talked about earlier that completely wiped away all previous continuities except for the original uh, continuity where the original team died at the end. They, it also got rid of the uh, Beast Boy involvement that he had never been part of the Doom Patrol and instead started off as a member of the Teen Titans with messed with all kinds of different continuities throughout the DC Universe. Uh, this team consisted of Robot Man, the Chief, Negative Man, as well as new members Nudge, Grunt, and Vortex. Now, this team was short-lived before the events of Infinite Crisis happened. Now, Infinite Crisis centered around the efforts of Superboy Prime to basically become the the only Superman. And that's as truncated and abbreviated and abridged as I can get it. During this event, Superboy Prime punched the source wall multiple times, sending continuity uh, rifts throughout the DC Universe. Because of this, the original Doom Patrol continuity was restored, with both the Chief and Robot Man remembering all of the previous adventures. It was then discovered that Rita was alive and well, and she joined up with Larry as well, Larry Trainer, Negative Man, as well as Robot Man and the Chief to continue on their adventures as the Doom Patrol. 
in the one year later event, they met Kid Devil along with the rest of the Titans at the time, and the Chief was at it again trying to manipulate people as he tried his best to manipulate Kid Devil into leaving the Titans because he told him that they would always see him as a freak. It's at this point that Mento, who has rejoined the team as well, takes leadership from Calder, basically telling him that if you ever, ever try to manipulate this team or try to manipulate your way back into running this team, I am going to end you. It's not too long after this that the Brain, who was revealed as alive along with his partner Monsieur Mala, revealed that he actually had a storied history with Niles Calder. That he, as well as many other members of the Brotherhood of Evil, the original Brotherhood of Evil, became villains because of previous Niles Calder experiments. The Brain reveals that the two of them were working on the, uh, basically, the secret to immortality and Niles Calder was jealous of the Brain's, uh, I guess, his progress in the project, so staged an accident to try and turn Brain into the first robot man, and that is how we got the Brain as he is. So, again, Niles Calder, what a, what a crook. Uh, following this, both Vox, Malcolm... Duncan, as well as Bumblebee, joined the team with uh, Elastigirl, now renaming herself Woman, taking on kind of a motherhood role for Bumblebee. Ambush Bug also joined the team, as well as a returning Crazy Jane, who had been on a soul-searching kind of odyssey. And a little while after this, Beast Boy returned to the team and assumed leadership, while Mento left and it wasn't really explained why we know that he dealt with some uh some issues with his controlling ocd as well as his paranoia that was enhanced by the helmet that he wore but of course all of this meant absolutely nothing because we come now to the new 52 where Nothing mattered beforehand, and this is the new continuity as it is. The team was rebooted yet again, and the very first team in the New 52 of the Doom Patrol consisted of Celsius, Negative Woman, Tempest, Karma, and Scott Fisher. So basically, the second team that appeared in its original continuity. Uh, this team made a short-lived appearance during the Forever Evil event where the crime syndicate of Earth-3 invaded our Earth and basically trapped the Justice League in the negative zone while they just ran roughshod along the Earth. Uh, this team, this ragtag Doom Patrol team, encountered Johnny Quick as well as Atomica, and the two crime syndicate members killed all of them. All of them were killed. Uh, following this, the chief decided that a new team was needed, and this new team appeared later on in the Justice League's adventures, and this new team consisted of Robot Man, Elastigirl, Negative Man, as well as an MIA uh, Justice League member from earlier in the story named Element Woman. Chief was, of course, manipulating Element Woman, who was very impressionable, 
to not return to the Justice League and to stick with the Doom Patrol, saying that her abilities made her a freak just like the rest of them. Uh, following this, the two groups, both the Justice League and the Doom Patrol, fought for the custody of Jessica Cruz, who had recently just inherited the Power Ring from the evil uh, crime syndicate member Power Ring. Power Ring being an evil member of Green Lantern, and his his Power Ring was essentially a uh, interdimensional parasite that gave him power, but at the cost of constantly feeding on a off of his life force and his fear. Now this power ring found its way to Jessica Cruz and she was originally uh, captured by Calder and was kind of being held by, like, kind of being held captive by him and the rest of the Doom Patrol. Uh, the Doom Patrol did end up fighting the Justice League over custody of Jessica Cruz where it was revealed that once again in this continuity as well calder caused the accidents to robot man elasta woman and negative man who all left him following this as well as revealing that celsius and tempest didn't die to the uh crime syndicate but in fact left and faked their deaths so that they could get away from niles calder so that was what we got from the Doom Patrol in the New 52 for a while, until the Young Animal line began, and we started anew once again with a new patrol. Our new patrol picks up with Casey Brink, who along with her partner Sam Reynolds are EMTs that work the graveyard shift. Uh, Casey Brink is filled with an undeniable optimism, and the two seem to be living kind of normal lives, but their lives are turned upside down when they uh, respond to a hit-and-run call late at night and find that the victim of the hit-and-run is none other than Cliff Steele, Robot Man. And I am going to end that history there because that is bringing us all the way up to the very first issue of this most recent Young Animal line. Uh, 12 issues that I think you should definitely, definitely pick up. Um, I'm hoping for more Doom Patrol as time passes, but for right now, uh, the completed collection is in trade form, both hardback as well as um, paperback. And I myself just uh, picked up the second volume of that run to kind of have in my collection. I really enjoyed it. Gerard Way is a killer writer, and Nick Darrington is a fantastic artist who really kind of encapsulates in his art all the weirdness that Doom Patrol has to offer. And I think that is where you should pick up the book as well. It's 12 issues. It is well worth your time. So go out and pick that up. Uh, next up, I am going to give you a quick recommended reading. Uh, I think you should definitely pick up, like I said, the Young Animal Run, the 12 issues. It's just two volumes. Real simple. I also think you should definitely pick up the Morrison run, which is titled Crawling from the Wreckage. At least that first big run from him, I think you should definitely pick up that as an iconic Doom Patrol run. What a lot of people equate to uh, what Doom Patrol kind of is and what it stands for. And then finally, it's got to be the first run. The very first Doom Patrol run uh, 
introducing the original team, introducing Mento and Beast Boy later on in their ranks, and ending with the uh, events at uh, Codsville. I think those three uh, runs you should definitely pick up. They are the best of the bunch, and you can find all of those, I believe, on Amazon. But before we wrap up today's uh, in-depth lesson on the Doom Patrol, I wanted to talk about the pilot episode of the Doom Patrol show, because as I mentioned earlier, the first episode dropped this past Friday as of this recording, and it is fan Fantastic. I cannot say enough good things about this show. The cinematography is fantastic. It, um, the acting is on point. The characterization is spot on for all of these characters. The casting is impeccable. Brendan Fraser is both the most unlikable character as well as the like most likable character, both when he is regular Cliff Steele and when he is Robot Man, respectively. Uh, Matt Bomer, who voices Negative Man, is great, and he actually does appear in flashbacks as Matt Bomer as well, not just through his voice work. Um, I, I, I want to say her name is Danielle Guerrera, plays Crazy Jane, and she's fantastic. She does get a little bit hammy in certain uh, lines and certain scenes, but she's fantastic. April Balby as Elasta Woman is amazing. They messed with her powers a little bit and made her almost more like Clayface than... Um, than her original power set where she could grow and shrink but i like it i like it and i like the idea that um she's this former actress who uh now is unable to really keep her form unless she really concentrates on it really enjoyed it um timothy dalton timothy dalton what can you say he's james bond he's fantastic as the chief in the limited scenes that he does feature in and he is amazing um, this show, of course, debuted on the DC Universe app, home to the Titans show, as well as uh, the third season of Young Justice, aka Young Justice Outsiders. And I would say, if nothing else, for this show alone, at least from the pilot, from my uh, just from my viewpoint, my uh, perspective, I think the uh the app that a lot of people were worried about myself included is finally worth picking up uh i am i took the seven day free trial so that i could watch this uh basically watch this episode and i might actually just stick with it to watch the show all the way through uh it leans really heavy into horror which i wasn't expecting but i really like i think uh horror and comic book superheroes fit together a little bit more neatly than people would expect and it is played to perfection here um one notable change to the lineup is that in this show uh they're one, two, three, four, fifth member isn't Beast Boy, though he was part of the team in the Titans show. It's kind of uh, it's kind of sketchy where this show places in the Titans timeline since they are sharing a world. But um, he is being replaced by Cyborg, which I think is an interesting choice. We're going to get to see him, I believe, in episode two. And I think it's it's cool because it plays into that idea of normal people, their lives get ruined, they see themselves as freaks, and that is Cyborg Victor Stone to a T. So my verdict, 
go see it. The pilot's amazing. I think you should definitely check that out. And that is going to do it for this week's episode on the Doom Patrol. Thank you for uh, going through that crazy winding history with me. I really appreciate it. Um, makes doing all the uh, research and all that worthwhile. Um, I enjoyed getting to look back at this team and really getting to reacquaint myself with some of the other runs of the team besides the one that I was familiar with. So I, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Doom Patrol going forward. Uh, definitely pick up the most recent, the Gerard Way, Nick Darrington run of the comics and go watch the show. It's going to be a good time. It's a great time for more obscure uh dc properties and i think this is um this is a good indication of that so um that is going to do it for this week's episode make sure to stick around after the jump for this week's comics countdown and check right back here next week for our next episode as we continue our march to our one year anniversary and if you have any suggestions on what you would like me to cover for our one year anniversary something big something i'm passionate about something you're passionate about please feel free to let me know let me know at geeksplained pod and give us a follow as well that's on twitter uh we're working on uh maybe putting up an instagram page just to kind of uh just throw up you know pictures and stuff of stuff we're talking about recommended readings that kind of thing um let me know if you'd be interested in that because we're kind of working on it it's in the pipelines and i think that'd be a cool way to add onto our uh, our growing catalog so um yeah let me know if you have any suggestions for our one year uh, anniversary show, but for now, let's jump over to this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I let you know what comics that I'm picking up on uh, this week's new comic book day and the books that I think you should pick up as well. Uh, we'll be going through typically around five comics, sometimes more, sometimes less, and you'll be getting the name of the comic, the creative team behind them, as well as a short synopsis for each issue. And of course, those synopses will, of course, be uh, told to you by my synopsis voices. Uh, feel free to recommend or uh, request a synopsis voice uh, on our Twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P-O-D. And uh, yeah, we'll just go ahead and jump into it. So we've got one, two, three, four, five, six comics this week that I think you should definitely check out. And uh, first up on the docket is Guardians of the Galaxy number two, written by Donnie Cates with art by Jeff Shaw. The first issue uh, kicked off of the bang. Uh, really good establishing kind of the new Guardians lineup, which I'm really looking forward to uh, getting more familiar with. Um, it's interesting because they, they're bringing in characters like uh, Cosmic Ghost Rider, Beta Ray Bill, who aren't typically uh, Guardians of the Galaxy characters. And I'm interested to see how they kind of balance with uh, Peter Quill and with Groot. But uh, we'll go ahead and jump to the synopsis here. Thanos is dead. Long live the new Thanos. But who will it be? Will the new Guardians of the Galaxy find that person in time before the universe comes crashing down? So yeah, this is kind of basing, or kind of jumping 
on after the uh, the events of Infinity Wars, where Thanos was killed by Gamora, and in the uh, last issue, his apparent like will and testament basically said that he implanted his like his mind, his memories, his spirit essentially into someone else in the galaxy didn't tell us who it was we don't currently know who it is i have a couple theories but uh, i'm interested to see who they end up picking but yeah this is going to be a good kind of uh ragtag band slash uh mystery run and i think you should definitely check this out I also think you should check out Nightwing number 57, written by Scott Lobdell with art by Travis Moore. This series has been really interesting. Um, since they decided to uh, shoot Dick Grayson in the head, rename him Rick, and give him anger issues, uh, I was not sold on the idea at first, but through the issues so far, I've actually been really enjoying it. And now he's got kind of a little gang of uh, wannabe Nightwings around him, and they're kind of like a super team for Bloodhaven. Uh, it's been really good. I'm interested to see where they go next with him now that he's decided to join back in and be a hero again. But we'll jump into the synopsis here. Destiny. Fate. Predetermined inevitability. These are all things that Rick Grayson has struggled to reconcile now that he has been given a second chance at life. A life recently unburdened with years of trauma, defeat, and struggle when the hero known as Nightwing was shot in the head. Now, Rick must come to terms with who he is and what kind of a hero he wants to be, if he wants to be one at all. And while Rick is content to walk away from the mantle, one woman has been hiding in the shadows, waiting to solidify an identity of her own, an identity tied for all eternity to the clown prince of crime. Enter the Joker's Daughter. So yeah, I'm interested to see where they go with this. The Joker's Daughter, I've always thought, is a really interesting character uh, in that idea that she's really kind of more of a, uh, a fangirl of the Joker than any kind of real familial uh, relation. And the New 52 did something interesting with her with the whole uh, Joker cutting off his face and that she found it and has basically been wearing it to signify her allegiance to him. So this is going to be really interesting, especially because they've crossed paths before, but I'm sure that Rick doesn't remember. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Um, legacy characters kind of meeting up and feuding has always been a big... Uh, I'm always a big fan of that, so we'll see where that goes next. And uh, next up we have Old Man Quill number 2 of 12, written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill. Uh, first issue was really good. I was not excited about uh, Old Man Quill number 1 when I first heard of the concept behind it, but after reading the first issue I really like it. It's, it's an old western, which I think these old man uh, books and that old man universe really lends itself to. And I'm kind of glad that they're keeping it that way, even with uh, the more fantastical characters like Star-Lord and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, we'll jump into the synopsis here. In the court of the Crimson King, Peter Quill returns to Earth, but a lot has changed since he was last there. As Peter reacquaints himself with the Guardians of the Galaxy, he'll find it's difficult to pick up where he left off but they'll have to figure it out quick as a deadly enemy is closing in. Also, what happened to the Avengers? So yeah, um, I think it's interesting because they're... I feel like we know what happened to the Avengers, but I'm wondering if like 
they're just um, I guess they're just kind of sidestepping that and they're gonna be retconning it or if um, this it's, it's also kind of fuzzy on where this takes place in the old man timeline because old man Hawkeye was clearly a prequel to old man Logan while I don't know if this is going to be a sequel to it and we're gonna see what happened to the world after that but either way I'm really interested in seeing what happens here Next up, we have Miles Morales' Spider-Man number three, written by Saladin Ahmed, with art by uh, Javi Garon. I really have been enjoying the first two issues. Uh, Miles kind of teaming up with Rhino and their weird uh, partnership has been really good. And this issue promises Captain America. The, uh, the cover is also a big throwback to the art style of uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which has been universally praised and has won a whole bunch of awards since it came out. Uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Captain America guest stars. Miles and Cap try to get to the bottom of the mystery of the missing kids, but it's not quite that simple. A new villain has our hero's number, and you won't believe how they get out of this jam. So yeah, um, I I always really enjoy Captain America and Spider-Man stories, whether that's with Peter or Miles, because we really get to get the perspective of those Spider-Man looking at this larger-than-life character who we have seen like inside the mind of. So it's interesting. I've always been really interested in how other characters in the Marvel Universe perceive Cap, and um, this issue promises to jump in that as well, and with... Uh, Miles kind of teaming up with Rhino, we're going to get to see how Cap feels about Miles teaming up with a Spider-Man villain, and that's always a good time. Next up, we have Uncanny X-Men number 12, written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Salvador La Roca. Uh, the last couple issues of Uncanny X-Men have been really great. The annual, which brought Cyclops back, and then the giant-sized Uncanny X-Men number 11, which brought Cyclops and Wolverine back together, was really well done. I really enjoyed them. The art style took a little bit getting used to for me. Um, I, I kind of uh, I jumped on board with it about halfway through Uncanny X-Men number 11. Uh, Salvador La Roca is a great artist. Uh, it took me a little bit to get used to his proportions and the way that he views the characters, but at the end of the issue, I had nothing but good things to say about it, and I am looking forward to this issue as well. So we will go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. After the devastating events of X-Men Disassembled, it falls to Cyclops to rebuild the X-Men in the face of overwhelming hatred. Thankfully, he's not the only X-Men to have just returned from oblivion. Scott and Logan are together again, and they are mutant kind's only hope. Writer Matthew Rosenberg and returning superstar X-Artist Salvador La Roca lead the X-Men into their darkest hour and beyond. So yeah, I, um, I always loved the pairing of uh, Cyclops and Wolverine because they balance each other out and they're so polar opposites. Um, so I'm looking forward to see how they uh, kind of operate without an entire X-Men team behind them when it's just the two of them. Because the last time we saw them, they were in direct opposition of each other. So uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. And then finally this week, we have Batman number 65. This is continuing the uh, last cold case crossover between Batman and the Flash. Uh, last two issues have been really good, kind of building off of the um, partnership as well as the events that happened in Heroes in Crisis. Uh, I really 
again, I said this uh, with last week's episode, and I'm going to say it again. I don't know if I feel like this should be considered a tie-in. Uh, yeah, they reference the events of um, they reference the events of Heroes in Crisis, but nothing has really tied it together yet. So I'm interested to see if it ends up doing that here because it's only this issue and then the next issue of the flash because they're just it's a four issue crossover so we'll see where that goes but i've been really enjoying the reintroduction of gotham girl everything that she's doing and uh yeah i think this is going to be good so we will go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the super-powered heroine Gotham Girl is suffering from a mental breakdown as she attempts to resurrect her brother and, in the process, give herself a new origin story fitting of a true hero. So yeah, uh, short and sweet, I've really, um, I really enjoyed the Gotham and Gotham Girl characters, and since she uh, kind of revealed in the first issue of this crossover that she's trying to bring him back, and then in, in the uh, last issue, I don't, they stumbled upon some like lab where I'm not sure if she was in control of the lab and she's been like trying to clone him, or if this was where they originally escaped from when they were. Uh, when they first got their powers, but I'm interested to dive kind of further into these characters, get a little bit more on their uh, their origins, their um, their background, and then maybe we'll see how far Gotham Girl's delusion has brought her. So that is going to be it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Guardians of the Galaxy number 2, Nightwing number 57, Old Man Quill number 2, Miles Morales Spider-Man number 3, Uncanny X-Men number 12, as well as Batman number 65. Uh, if there are any books I missed or books that you think I should check out, feel free to let me know. And uh, once again, thank you for listening to this episode and listening to us all the way through. We are marching on our way to our one-year anniversary on March 10th. Uh, very excited. I want to say thank you again to everyone who has been listening to us, whether it's from our very first episode or you hopped on sometime this past year. I want to say thank you, and I really appreciate your support and you uh, listening to us because it just helps our podcast grow, and it helps me uh, learn how to do this podcast thing. I came into this with zero uh experience in podcasting and i really just wanted to kind of have conversations and talk about geek stuff so i'm happy that you folks are on the ride with me and i'm looking forward to see what this uh what this year brings got a lot of good stuff uh lined up in the pipeline and i'm excited to share that with all of you but uh for now that's gonna wrap it up for this week we will be right back here same geek time same geek channel and for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening and we will see you next time